Welcome to Acute Conversations, the official podcast of APTA's Academy of Acute Care, where we share engaging conversations about acute care physical therapy so you can connect to your profession. I'm Ashley. And I'm Leo. Today we chat with Jen Ryan. We discuss the upcoming acute care specialty, how you can get involved in your profession. And you will learn who to call for your wedding planning and party needs. Welcome, Jen. Okay. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Jen, thanks for being here today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So why don't we start off maybe with just who you are, what you do for the people that don't know, although again, if these are acute care listeners in our audience, many people might've already come across your name, but why don't we just start off with the formalities and just kind of explain who you are and what you do? Sure. My day job is assistant professor <laughs> at Northwestern University in the PT department. We're also a department of human movement science, which is pretty cool because we have all sorts of engineers, biomedical engineers and neuro specialists and stuff of different professions working with us and collaborating with us on our research. So that's a real treat. That's really cool. Yeah. Helps me know like, oh, there's so much more to know, but I have smart, nice people around me. So I get a lot of help too. <laughs> I'm vice president of APT Acute Care and happy to be in that role and have that opportunity to really like help garner the resources that we have at our fingertips to make them useful tools for members. I've been a delegate in the House of Delegate for 18 years, but now I'm not a delegate for a really nice reason. So I'm on APT nominee and I get to be a consultant to the House and I get to serve in that role of understanding like where does this profession have opportunity to take our leadership to a whole new level to meet the expectations of the strategic plan and take this profession to an external audience that has never realized how amazing we are. So in my acute care roles, the other thing I do outside of APTA or acute care president is I oversee the subject matter expert for seeking out specialization. And that process started in November, 2019. And then obviously March, 2020 had a change. So my team was working really, really hard on their day-to-day. So it's taken a while, but we are now to the point where you're on the brink of seeing the survey come to you. And I can only ask that you, if you get the link, please fill it out. Please, please, please encourage any colleague in the academy to look for that email and fill it out. The sooner we get to an end, the sooner we get to analyze, the sooner we get to pitch for specialization. All right. You hear that everybody, right? So when you see the link, that's the least you can do is fill it out for us. Because <laughs> we all want to see and that coming. Yes, and send and it to forward it to all the acute care people you know. Do they have yes. to be a member to fill it out? They do have to be a member to get okay. the link sent to them. And the link is specific to the individual because okay. uh, we have an opportunity to not make everyone fill out the entire survey, but portions thereof. And so please don't share the link that you are given. Please share the energy and desire to fill it out with your colleagues to look for theirs. That is good to know. That's really helpful information. Well, I have so many questions about this acute care specialty. So we're just going to jump into that because mm-hmm. I have had so many people ask me, you know, you sometimes hear student like I also work at a university and my students will say, I want to do an acute care residency, but what is there after that? Like there's no specialty. And I'm always like, well, first of all, there's a lot of value in doing an acute care residency without a specialty. But I think people kind of like that, like, you know, kind of cherry, like or icing on the cake at the end. So For our Mm -hmm. listeners who really want to know, where are you now? How much longer is it going to be? And what's involved in this whole process? Okay. So what we 
what we have done so far is we establish all the knowledge, skills, and abilities of an acute care practitioner based on, you'll see that there's like basic science elements, there's medical knowledge elements, there's clinical elements, there's research elements, there's all sorts of components of specialization that if you look at the description of specialty practice of any of the present specialties for which we three are CCSs, so we know that, Mm -hmm. um, well, there are all those elements. So all those elements had to be addressed in relation to acute care. And what is it about an acute care expert that's different than other PT experts? You know, we have to define ourselves as a unique specialty for which we know that, but the rest of the PT profession needs to know that and appreciate that. So it, it took a lot of work to get to that point. That survey got built, it's like got 170 some odd items and sent to 25 experts across the nation to be a pilot survey and like understand, did we capture everything? Did we get all the information? Did we get it right? And we added a couple items based on their feedback. And now it's in the hands of the ABPTS, ABPTRFE combo board that's working to like look at it, make sure it dots all our I's and crosses all our T's before it gets sent out to the membership for survey. When we reach the appropriate end of all the sub elements of the survey, we'll then be able to analyze that data. And that analysis will give us opportunity to write it to ABPTS, ABPTRP, say, we see ourselves as unique. We see an opportunity to recognize professionals who've been at the top of their license in an acute care setting, be it a hospital or with acutely ill individuals in other physical settings, but identifying the unique and exceptional skills that come to the table to really function at the top of your license practice setting. Which they are and unique and special skills. Like, right? I would yeah. encourage anybody yeah. who's never worked in acute care to walk in and just try to do that. Like, it's not a, it's not a walk in the park. Mm-hmm. You're totally right. And, you know, it, it gets watered down in so many discussions. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Leo, you and I were talking about this the other day. You know, oftentimes you get a consult get a patient a walker so they can go home. And it might be the end result, but the discussion has to be about all the decision-making that went into that was the right result. That Mm -hmm. was the right answer. That is the safest, best answer for this patient. This gives them the best opportunity to not readmit. This gives them the best opportunity to feel safe, to move often in their home. You know, uh, also go home once, (laughs) right? (laughs) So that's what, you know, as we work towards specialization, it gives us that much more opportunity to build educational elements that help people prepare for the exam that will come someday, for which that doesn't mean you have to, you're only going to take those courses if you're sitting for the exam. There's great information out there for people who are nowhere near ready for the exam, but just really want to practice at a higher level. And it's going to be on whatever our new version of learning centers. But, you know, that's not going to be only for acute care members to take those courses. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's what's fantastic right. is physiology is physiology, no matter what setting you're in. <laughs> so it'll be great to share that knowledge with more academies and you know wider in the profession. Well, and that's one of the things that I really love about acute care. And I think that's also one of the things that's probably challenging when trying to come up with the specialty is it's not just cardioplomb. It's not just ortho. It's not just neuro. Like it runs across the board. So the lab values and the medications and The physiology of each of those diagnoses is so unique. And so when someone comes in and wants to specialize in acute care, 
Like you can't just know one system, right? You have to kind of write all the systems. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, that to me is a specialty. Yeah. I mean, there's that component of knowing, knowing your hard numbers, right? Just knowing the numbers from the scientific standpoint, right? The medicine standpoint. But then there's also what we call soft skills and soft skills are in a way, I think they're becoming more and more into like how important they are. They should not be secondary. Like the primary is going to be your hard skills of understanding lab values, transfer technique. And then the soft skills are, I think what we're seeing now more often is that they are both equally important and how, you know, these are tools that we use. And when I a lot that, of people are starting to call the soft skills, the hard skills. Yeah. You know that? yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and that's another huge component with mm-hmm. being acute care, right? Your ability to have, just being able to alter your communication, the way you cut, you know, you, you have a conversation with a allied health professional, doctor, right? Maybe a social worker compared to your family, a family member or a patient or somebody else. And so I think it's, I mean, that's part of the reason I love acute care. Um, actually, I just want to point out too that like Jennifer, I just want to say thank you. Some piece of gratitude because you yeah. have both directly and indirectly been a, a huge influence in terms of my career for being a physical therapist. So you had mentioned it a number of times working at the top of your practice, right? And at the top mm-hmm. of your license. So that's, that's always been in the, in, in the back of my mind, especially when I'm working with, with patients. And the other thing is that you know, I'm going to make a pitch for Jackpot is that I've seen your name before I knew you personally. I saw your name multiple times in Jackpot and was like, oh my gosh, this is the person that wrote the article, which I thought was pretty cool. But the one article that, that really stuck up in my, in my mind is the one that you had referenced about the one that you wrote with Sharon Gorman regarding mm-hmm. R and communication. That was huge. Yeah. That was so instrumental. And I share that every year with my students in terms of how important communication is. And again, maybe just discharging a patient. They say in terms of the consult, okay, patient needs a walker to go home. And I think that case scenario that you had brought up was the patient had metastases and they wanted them to go home, but it was so much more than just, let's vent out a walker, let me size it and see you later. There were so many other details. I don't know if you maybe want to expound on that because I thought it was a really interesting story that's always kind of stuck out in my head about how instrumental acute care therapists are within the healthcare field, especially in, in the acute care setting. Yeah. And, in, you know, in that scenario, I had the, the consult, I, when I got the consult, I looked back and they had been documenting for days that her LFOS went up, they, they postulated that she had meds. But, you know, they just keep saying this with no imaging. I'm like, okay, where's the imaging? Right. And so <laughs> where are the meds? What's the, you know, are they in bone cortex or where, where are these meds? And then they finally get around to the imaging and I see where those meds are and they want her to go home today. And then it became, what are her goals? Where does she want to be? Where does she feel safest? Where does she feel most comfortable? And she had a really strong desire to go home and God love her. She had a really fantastic husband who was willing and able to help her get around to the distances that she needed to function. There was so much in the connection with the family on that, that wasn't about the walker and go home. And it's really interesting because when you get the consult, it seems very cold. And then you get in the room and you find out there's so much more. Mm-hmm. And you want to make sure that you stay with the what has to be done for the patient. Like if, if she wasn't ready to leave that day, she wasn't leaving that day. I don't care how many consults they write that she's going home today. I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like you, you started a little late in the game. You've known this for a while. You could have consulted me five days ago. You know, mm-hmm. that's a problem too if you care. Yeah. But, but anyway, you know, we found a way that was really meaningful to the patient. We found a way that was helping the patient appreciate that and then helping the resident learn too. I mean, 
I, I learn all the time. They learn all the time. Mm-hmm. And so we really need to work as a team to appreciate what each other knows and how we can help build it into a real solution for the patient. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think bringing that family piece into it, she had a fantastic family. We've seen how many poor souls who don't have a fantastic support system, and we still have to find a solution for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I see you getting emotional just talking about that. Patient. Oh, I totally agree. And yeah, which I think is beautiful, honestly. Like I, I feel the same connection lots of times with my patients, and I think that's part of what makes this job both challenging and rewarding at the mm-hmm. same time, right? As we're with mm-hmm. these people, sometimes at the worst moments of their lives. So, you know, can you give any advice? Because you've been doing this for a long time. And I know that compassion and that emotional component of PT is really important to you. What do you do to make those connections with patients and their families? And maybe for some that have a harder time with that or maybe carry that home with them. You know, any anything you want to share with our listeners regarding that? You know, strategies that work for me may or may not work for you, but I I love to find a joke in the room anywhere I can. And it doesn't mean it's a good joke. It just it might be a very dad joke, but it mm-hmm. works for me, right? And so mm-hmm. things I do, like I when I'm organizing lines, think I'm thinking about the lines, but at some point in my 30 some odd years, I figured out like, wait a second, that is white noise to the patient. They are wondering what I'm doing. Yeah. They're just being yeah. there in bed with all these connections like i'm just looking around like what's going on yeah right and so i've got so i got to the point where i would just chit chat about anything that i felt was meaningful and so i was like so how'd you sleep last night you know it was a common question i'd ask because that's a good question to ask patient and then i'd go into the whole diet and be like oh man my kuna woke me up at three in the morning last night because Mm Yeah, you know, and so just try to bring some normalcy, some reality, help them think about anything but what's going on in the moment, because you can't solve everything that's going on in the moment and help it keep to what you can focus on, you know, helping them realize that you're not there to rush them out of bed. Mm-hmm. You're going to move them at the pace that makes sense and you're going to measure and you're going to measure and you're going to measure again and you're going to make sure that they are cool with it and that they can find like new abilities that they didn't anticipate that they didn't see coming, which is always so sweet to see that look in their eyes when they sit up like, my God, I didn't know this was going to happen. I'm like, and you look kind of fantastic. (laughs) And, you know, telling them their numbers are solid is only part of it. You know, fine is a four letter word. It makes me nuts when people say you're fine. If stats are good. I'm like, they can't breathe. Mm -hmm. I don't hear that. That stats are the thing you're looking at. I'm looking at stats and you know, like, yes, mm-hmm. yes, and then and the fact that it's a relationship, and you're going to get so much more out of your patient if yes. you take the time to form that relationship and not establish that hierarchy, which you're so you sometimes right. see people do. Yeah, well, and I I think that's probably more driven by their fear, and they don't realize, and that doesn't mean they're terrible people if that happens. That means no. they need to like take a moment afterward and say like, okay. What was good about that session? What could I do different or better? You know, I'm, yeah. you know, when I teach CV Fizz, I think of this, my students are like, how am I going to memorize all of this and be ready in the room and know all of this in the moment with my patient? And I'm like, every time you have a patient interaction, you are going to go in there with as much information as you can. You're going to take as many things under consideration as you can. And you're going to honestly work your way to the point where you're like, I don't feel safe or I don't feel like or I feel this patient's done and I'm going to reflect afterward. You know, yeah. that 
write the assessment in their note. And that's that opportunity to like see it through themselves as well as get through the assessment of the note because there's like note writing is the worst part of it all. <laughs> I, think, I think we have some similarities because so I, I used to dabble in acting. And now that I like, you know, I'm fully immersed in this career, I tell my students all the time, it's kind of like what actors do to prepare where you learn the character inside and out and you like feel it and you really know them. And then when you go on stage, you forget all that and you just be. So mm -hmm. when you go into a patient's room, you yeah. prepare really, really well. You learn like what their history is. You learn what their laughs, what anything that maybe you might anticipate. But then when you go in the room, that all goes to the back of your mind and you just focus on the person in front of you. Mm -hmm. But then when something happens, okay, I can pull that from the back of my mind and now deal with it. Yeah. But if you're thinking about all of that while you're trying to make a relationship with the patient, it's just not going to work the way you want it to. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully put, actually. Let's go ahead. Go ahead. As well, oh, you, yeah. you have to be able to improvise like on the spot, right? It's just like you, because mm -hmm. I do know that students, they spend a lot, of, and even my in, and new grads as well, they can, they'll spend time, they, they almost get stuck during that chart review. You have a patient that's been here for like a week it's and they're like, all right, how long, how much longer do they pay for that chart review? It's like another 30 minutes. It's like, it's going to be lunchtime soon. We haven't seen any patients yet. That like you can prepare as much as, as you can. And it is important mm -hmm. that you have to be, but there has to be a jump where you kind of, you got to get in the patient room. And you got to see them and you have to be ready to be able to, to improvise on the spot and, and whatever gets thrown your way to be able to roll with it and, and, and make the best out of the situation. And Jen, you bring up a great point that afterwards, that's such an important learning, that debrief afterwards, whether you're a student and you're going to debrief with your CI or if you're a new grad and you've got a mentor, even just on your own, just kind of step back and think, okay, what went well and what are some things I can do better and not beat yourself up and give yourself some right. grace to Okay, like, like is it, that's that's especially happened. We've had terrible sessions where it's just like, oh man, that was that could not have gotten worse than the one I had planned, and everything went sideways, right? And then you take a step back and you just say, okay, what are we gonna do tomorrow <laughs> to make this, you know, to to, to make this one percent better? You know, I want to ask both of you. It is cool that we, we are all CCS, you know, cardiopulmonary specialists. But do you have any, I, I like Jen, you had brought up, you know, as you're setting up the room, kind of like your stock jokes about Tom Wood, you have to lunch or dinner. And actually, you two, do you have any stock jokes or conversation starters that you use for, for patients? This would be useful for Gosh, us. I don't know. I usually, I usually ask questions similar to Jen about what do you eat for breakfast or how were you sleeping last night? Where are you from? Because we get a lot of people at Duke that come from all over. But I used to have a student and I thought this was so funny and I still repeat it to this day that whenever a patient will burp or maybe accidentally urinate or have a bowel movement or release some gas, she would always say, better out than in, better yeah. out than in. It's true. And it always just eased the moment, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I thought where I almost adopted that when they would just kind of like look at me like, I'm like, you know what? It's better out than in. Just it's it's all good. Because that's one of the most embarrassing times I feel like totally. sometimes for patients because they just feel like they're losing control. And if you can just normalize that a little bit and make light of it, I think it helps pass that moment by and go on to something else. That's and my gram used to say right. better an empty house than a bad tenant. And that's the line that's I was about to talk about. It's so funny that we're like using the same thing. I mean, you're right. It's not about being embarrassed. It's about, okay, those things happen. Let's right. keep going. You know, right. and it just helps them like, oh, 
okay, I don't have to manage that. No, we just managed it. Next topic. <laughs> yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. And they'll well, read our cues. We have to watch out for that. It's like, if we make it awkward, then they're going to feel awkward. Then they're going to want to participate. They'll, they'll feel embarrassed. They're less likely to have a good, you know, positive interaction with therapy. But again, if you can make light of it and it's just like this happens, it's just like, oh, look, not, don't worry about it. It's not a problem. It's okay. In the end, you say, you know, better out than in. And, and like Jen, what you had said. For me, what I do is usually when, like, when I have to adjust the beds and it's creaky, I'm said, oh, don't worry about that. That's just my knee. That's just my knee. Don't worry. <laughs> and then the other thing that I do. You got dad jokes. Those are dad jokes. That's why when I hear that, I'm like, oh, yes, I'm the king. I'm the king of this. But when I start talking to them, and I, and I get my students to kind of realize this, it's like, yes, sometimes in terms of efficiency, you're, you're setting up the room so there's clear egress to the door. So I start talking to the patient. I'm setting things up. And it just looks like there's going to be a high prognosis that they're probably going to be able to walk that distance. I say, well, don't mind me. Keep talking. 90% of my job is being a mover. So I'm just moving the stuff around here. And then and actually. <laughs> physical therapy or my day job is I'm like, you know, I, I move furniture. That's what I really do for a living. And so I kind of make those jokes, but I think what's also helpful, especially because Jen and I were both in Chicago. If I ask people where you're from, I say, okay, where do you live? And sometimes the token answer is I live in an apartment, five steps to enter, et cetera. So, no, no, but what part of Chicago? Oh, I live in this part of that part. And I'm familiar enough to say like, oh, is that restaurant still there? What type of food do you yeah. like to get in that area? And once you do that, you kind of tease out who they are and you get to see a little bit more of their personality and then mm-hmm. in terms of like the different types of food. Oh, this is a really good restaurant. There's that Greek restaurant. Oh, I, I remember that place. Is that place still up? Oh, no, that place closed, but you know the family. So we're mm-hmm. great opportunities to kind of draw out a little bit more of that personality of that, of that patient. And then what's cool is that you've got more talking points while they're getting up and moving around. Again, you're looking at the vitals and you're making sure that the oxygen is okay, but maybe they're getting really anxious about moving around for the first time. So like, oh, okay. So yeah. are there any other good restaurants or you know, oh, they're right next to that restaurant was a really, there was a big park that was right next to it. They, they still have that up. So I think those, those conversation starts yeah. are, are really important. And I think for poor and yeah, yeah, that was right. Yeah. And getting comfortable <laughs> engaging in that type of small talk. When you say the word trust, I, I'm always, always so thankful and astounded that people trust us so quickly. I agree. Hi, I have an incredibly sore shoulder and I'm just meeting you and you want to move it. Great. You know, like, but they trust the therapist yeah. to move it. I've been right. laying in this bed, scared out my wits. and uh, With all this stuff attached trust, to me. Mm-hmm. Right. And you say it's feasible that I'm going to get up, but they trust us. We have I know. to see that as a gift. We have to mm-hmm. see that as a responsibility and an opportunity all at once. That gave um, me That's goosebumps. a big deal. Yeah. 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 It's will- the fact that they're willing to trust us is- shouldn't be assumed. It should be appreciated. I completely agree. Completely agree. Well, I'm going to switch gears completely because you have so many interesting facets of you, Jen. (laughs) And I want to hear about some of these leadership positions you have. Like you're newly elected vice president of the Academy of Acute Care. Mm -hmm. Also on APTA National Nominating Committee, which I really Mm -hmm. want to hear more about because... (laughs) Somebody actually nominated me for that, the same cycle. But I was, I, I, I'm a new delegate. And I was like, no, I really want to do this delegate thing because you can't do both. So I really want to hear about what's that process like to go yeah. through these, this stringent kind of, I feel like election and interview process for APT National. Mm-hmm. And then how is that different from going through an election process for like the academy for people out there who may want to serve in some of these roles? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that is a great question. So in, I've been involved 
at my chapter, Illinois, at my academies, acute care, what we, whatever we called ourselves way back when, and now we call ourselves APT, acute care, in many roles in like a building process, working my way up in terms of like, what's the responsibility? What's the bandwidth I have? What's the awareness I have to make an impactful, you know, to serve impactfully in the role? And so it's it's been a long build. Illinois has an assembly, so it's like the House of Delegates, right? And so only six states in the nation have assemblies. And so I had opportunity to serve as an assembly rep in Illinois for many years before I became a delegate in House of Delegates, which is a representative body of all the APTA members across the nation. And so it gives us opportunity to understand practice in this really beautifully diverse way because what's happening in California is now what's happening in Florida is now what's happening in Minnesota and Illinois. So you you know, how can we find the common ground that's right for our profession and make, you know, policies and procedures that meet the expectations and afford the opportunities for our profession to grow and be, you know, really recognized for yeah. what we can and should do. And then also like, wait, we should be doing a little bit more in Illinois, maybe you know, when you look over it, so get it like about something cool going on in whatever state. I'm like, hmm, there's some nice ideas. So you'd like gain this great cool yeah. connection to the profession in a whole new way. And in that process, um, seeing leaders and seeing the great things they do and all that. And I'm like, I want to work my way that way. And mm-hmm. I was thankful to be elected and nominated committee this year. So I started a little early. I started in November because I got appointed to finish out someone's term. And then my new term started January 1st. And we're working on, you know, understanding when someone puts in what I put in for you is called an NC1. Meaning mm-hmm. someone than you, Ashley. Someone thinks you're a great leader and that maybe you aren't personally feeling ready to serve in the role right now. But start the conversation with the nominating committee and kind of start the conversation of like, what other committees and task forces through academies, through chapters, you know, APTA Engage puts your fingertips at all sorts of resources, all sorts of opportunities. Yeah, that's it. By the way, can I just put a shout out to the APTA Engage? If you're not on APTA Engage, you should be because you got yes. so many emails with so many opportunities and there's going to be one out there that's right for you. Mm-hmm. All right. Sorry, I had to put a shout in for that. You're totally right. I love that you did that because that's the, that's the beauty of it is. Yeah, you have to go through the process of filling it out. It's a it's an hour's worth of work. But wow, then you get opportunities just plopped in your lap. And so, and that's from, you know, I don't have a connection with the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy, but if they have an opportunity that fits my skill set, I'm going to get that one. Yep. And I'm going to get that awareness through APT and Gate. But that's the kind of thing that nominating committee is there to be. They're there to help you understand your leadership journey, as well as they're there to kind of, look at like, okay, we have all these really exceptional leaders in a writing way. What are the needs of the strategic plan? What does the board need so that it can be the most impactful board? And who do we slate? After the slating, it's no longer a nominating committee discussion. You know, we put the slate together. It then is in the hands of the delegates and the house officers to make the decision about the process that we go through to elect the leaders and all that good stuff. But it's really been so eye-opening because you know, having served on the bylaws committee for APTA before being elected to nominating committee, there's really so many resources at our fingertips as members of APTA, as members of APTA Acute Care, as members of your chapter, that you can make your professional experience so deep, so rich, so cool. 
<laughs> that's mm-hmm. not, it's not a job anymore, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I completely so agree. If you get on that APTA website and just dig around and play, there is so many things you don't even realize are there. And all the discounts, <laughs> renting the car and things like that. I need to take more advantage of those. I don't take advantage of those as like I should. Mm-hmm. I, I stumbled across them. I'm like, shut up. How did I not know about this? Like, yeah. <laughs> this is what they should use as our selling point. <laughs> right, right. So Jeanette's nominating committee. Talk talk to us a little bit more about now you now you're also vice president of APTA Acute mm-hmm. Care. I feel like there's got to be like more than one of you. Uh, I was going to say, Jen, you're not a big deal at all. Like, really, like, you must have a clone around. It's not important. Like, you should really, like, just go relax. I don't know how best time to do it all. It it is beautiful, like, in seeing, you know, opportunities at APTA Acute Care and how, you know, enriching the academy and the experience of the members through the academy is a touch point for people that's different than through their chapter, that's different than through other leadership elements of APTA general, like APTA and your chapter are all about policy. And so so many people like, I don't want to talk politics. I don't want to talk about that. I'm like, I get it, but you can't hang your special shingle out the out there if you don't have a license to support it. And so you need both, you know, you need expertise. You need people who are clinical experts who can say, you know, that really, who can take on that really complex patient scenario and put a logical step-by-step progression plan in place to help that patient get somewhere to manage their movement problem. But you also need someone who's going to fight for you when someone's trying to encroach on your licensure because I'm no expert at, you know, that's the thing is like, I don't go to the house or not house of delegates, but I don't go to house representatives and vote. Raja Krishnamurthy votes for me there. I don't go, you know, I go to house delegates and represent GTs, but I also, I don't go on the hill. That's why we pay fees, because we need people who are experts at legislation to be on the Hill or in Springfield for me in Illinois. It's it's really so like the more you're participating in different aspects, you see the underpinning themes and the role you can serve on those and the role those serve for you is kind of how I've come about, kind of gaining an understanding of it. And so. And, and when I serve on those, it helps me in my job so much. Like I, I better understood hospital administration because I better understood APTA process and leadership position and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, in roles I served for task forces, I gained skills that me in my day job. In my work here at Northwestern, I, you know, it's a back and forth of supporting each other that they're like, yeah, sure. You want to serve on another committee? I think you'll bring back more prizes for us. Sure. (laughs) Well, and I think like, you know, for those people who may want to serve in a role, like I think if you remember that all of these things we're doing are elevating our profession, but it all ties back to patient care, right? Like those Mm -hmm. things we're doing on the Hill, it all ties back to patient care. Those things you're doing on these committees, trying to bring in great people in our profession and get them nominated. And the things you're doing on the academy, like it all comes back to like doing what's best for the patient. And I mean, it was, I went to an advocacy day for the first time last year and it was an amazing experience. Like, I mean, we went and actually sat down with representatives and like talked to them about the bills that were happening right now. And, you know, I was really intimidated to do it, but they train you really well. So by the time you go out, you're like, I know what to say and what to talk about. And you get to bring in those personal patient stories and say, here's why this is important. Because I worked with this patient 
who now didn't have this and their family. And then the, those representatives on the hero, like, oh, like those are the yes. stories they need to hear to make an impact, to do something about it. Yeah, it was a fantastic experience. I had, I was at an event like it to sign petitions to get people on the ballot. Yeah. And then they said, oh, and Governor Pritzker's going to be here in five minutes. I was like, oh yeah, uh, <laughs> get me in line. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, and so I also serve on the rest, on the board of directors for the Respiratory Health Association. I'm the only physical therapist on their board. And I'm like, yeah, physical therapy is all about the oxygen movement. And so, yeah, this is important. So I get in line and I go, Governor Pritzker, thank you so much for CJO, which is our Clean Energy Jobs Act. And, and he's like, oh, yes. And he like talked about how this fantastic solar project is coming up. And one of the expectations of CJA is to find underserved and upper, underrepresented communities and identify the pollution that's been highly prevalent in their communities, but also get contracts into the businesses that are part of that community instead of always going to the one who has the most legal team to who can get the contract in first. And so when he said, oh, talk about solar panels in XYZ town. I'm like, and the people of that neighborhood better get the contracts for the work. He goes, I, can, I know, I know. <laughs> and then he, he was kind of like, sister, you know what you're talking about. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm ready. I am ready. And I'm like, and we need you to sign that MOU about medium and heavyweight trucks to be electrified by 2030 because little village is suffering. Little village is a neighborhood in Chicago that is like the confluence of the East and the West railways of the U.S., and shipyards. And so, and then there's trucking like crazy going on there to get everything off the rails onto the trucks. The air quality in Little Village is hideous. And so we need to support Little Village. We need electrified trucks in Little Village. We need them in every village. But, you know, understanding that I see those patients from Little Village. I see those people right. with lung impairment. I see those patients who are working darn hard with one and two jobs plus two and three diagnoses. Yeah, you know, yeah. we need to support those folks and understand that they've been, they've been, we've been walking on their shoulders for a darn long time. So, Jen and Ashley, I would, I would for our audience, what, because we're already talking about it right now, for those acute care therapists that are not APTA members or the ones that are APTA members and students included that are not part of APTA acute care. What's the value that, that that brings? Because I think there's so many people, they want to have a little bit more of an impact. They want to do more. They don't want to just show up to their job and they feel like they want to, they, they've got the possibility and be able to do more, but they're not sure about committing or they're not sure like, well, there's, you know, there, there's the cost that's associated with it. And although we mm -hmm. do have some, some things in place, especially for students, you may be, both of you, talk, I, I can say from my experience, I think it was being an APTA Care member I had an opportunity to go to one of the continuing ed courses that you had at University of Chicago, and you at University mm -hmm. of Chicago, Jen, and it was discounted. It was the lab values. Yeah, yeah. Continuing ed. And that's where I met Kim Levenhagen, Jamie Dyson, James Smith. Tracy Norris. Tracy Norris, who's our, and this is before she was president. So I uh -huh. met them. No one knows any of these names, right? Right, like, exactly. And so <laughs> James Tompkins, yeah. That was like right. 2016. But because I met these people, just my, my, my network just sprouted up. And here I am now being part of, you know, I'm part of the nominating committee. I'm actually also part of APTA's media team as well. So it's created all these opportunities. So that's what I saw for myself. But could you also maybe just talk about like the value? Because sometimes people don't know. They think I pay this and I don't, all I get is a journal. It's like, wow, you are severely limiting the opportunities that you can get from being part of this organization. A, a couple things 
connected me early. One of my colleagues had said like, oh, you should have joined, you should join acute care because then you'll get this cool newsletter. And so the, before Jackpot, we had a newsletter. We didn't have a referee journal. And just that newsletter connected me to so many like medical connection thoughts that maybe didn't come to me naturally in my own like experience. I just kind of lived through it versus like, oh wait, I should study this a little bit more. And so the more I started to really connect to those details, it really helped me enrich my awareness of the patient, my ability to have a greater conversation with my professional colleagues who I'm standing right next to, who think that I'm just moving folks. I'm like, yeah, no, there's a whole lot more to it. And so it really helped me like find the route to take a deeper route into the understanding of the whys in the house versus just the, the what's. You know, what did you accomplish today? Like, no, I accomplished a whole lot more. But the other piece was I worked in a big facility and I had a big PT department and I had a lot of support community there. And I realized that that was fantastic, but it wasn't the whole kahuna. There was a community across the nation who have so totally enriched my knowledge and awareness and want to do more and want to understand better. And when I share my patient experiences with them, I learn about that reflective piece we talked about. I'm like, oh yeah, well, there's that too. You know, so that many more smart people in the room is a great idea to me. <laughs> How about you, Ashley? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I think initially, like in my early clinician journey, I it, it the cost deterred me. I mean, I'm probably like a lot of other clinicians where I was like, oh my gosh, it's so expensive. And like, you know, and it was tough. But I will say to any of you who are, like not members or either are members and want to get involved, but aren't involved. Like if you have an idea, like that's a great way to get involved. If you're one of those clinicians that's practicing and complaining and like, oh, I wish this were different or I wish this were better or join and get involved because those are the roles that help make that difference. If you want a mentor and don't have one, you will find lots yeah. of them. If you want to meet people- you know what I mean? You will find them. And I mean, if you're just somebody who wants information, right? Like it, you're such a wealth of information from getting involved. And I just think it has expanded my network. It's expanded my knowledge. It mm -hmm. helps me do more than just the status quo and not get stuck in a rut. You know, a lot of right. us just get stuck in a rut. And I feel like it keeps me out of that rut and challenges mm -hmm. me to be better and to keep going on to the next best thing. And once you get one opportunity, like, I feel like the next one, this presents itself. And then the next one, it just keeps on coming to the point where you're like, okay, I can't do all this. Like at some point I have to say no, but I don't see people realize those elections, like those slots, sometimes we're like trying to get people, yeah. right? Like we're like, oh my gosh, we need like more than one candidate or we need a, a candidate. So the opportunity's there. You just got to get out there and go for it. Just dive in. Yeah. yeah the whole Thing you mentioned about you know participating at, it it's so important that just dip your toes in the water yep. you don't have to like you don't have to commit x hours or whatever yeah. you need to find the job that lines up with your bandwidth and i mean you will see if you know it depends on how you participate are you a quiet participator or are you like an out in front they both work it doesn't yep. matter because we don't right. You're going to bring some degree of new information or expertise either to that task force or from that task force to your day to day, and it's going to make a difference. And so finding those ways of like, how can this be a resource to me 
I get it, Leo. You're right. There's a lot of passive members who are like, eh, I paid 50 bucks all I got with this journal is it means that we need to do more unique outreaches to help folks grab a rope. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like this cool opportunity of the podcast are, is free because now it's like yet a new way to connect with people, you know? And I will say yes, like being able to, to hear these conversations of, of people that are all across the nation, right? Like acute care therapists and I'll hear people say, I, I, I've been on calls with Jamie Dyson. He's just like, oh yeah, hemoglobin of four. We'll get them moving. Percy's vented and they're on. Yeah, we, we'll get them moving. Don't, don't let that be a hindrance. Like less movement is not the answer always, right? It's like, is there a way for us to promote? And I'm just like, wow, that really happens. But it's so funny compared to being an, a new grad and a novice clinician come to where I'm at now. It's just like, oh, pa- patient, like for example, just somebody receiving a transfusion. A patient, their hemoglobin was six, they're receiving transfusion. I felt when I was a clinician initially, it's like, don't touch them. They're getting a transfusion right then and there. Like, let's wait. Or maybe it's like four o'clock. I can't see them until tomorrow. It's like, no, why do you have to wait? Is, are there any adverse reactions? Right. So those little things. And I think part of that was just the exposure of hearing clinicians and hearing them say like, yes, there are, you know, you do have to be safe and you have to understand exactly what's going on from a medical standpoint. But we, as the movement professionals, the ones that are, we take ownership of that. We should not, and yeah, I think this is from another article that you had pointed out in terms of owning your profession is that we, we as physical therapists are trained in terms of our physiology and movement at the same level as med school students, right? If anything, our, the mus- from the musculoskeletal standpoint, our education is, is up there. Why should we be asking permission? This is another pet peeve of mine. Sorry, I'm on my soapbox a little bit. Asking permission from other, other providers and saying like, can I work with this patient or is this patient ready? And then if we come up with that, if that's the language that we use, it mm. seems that we're asking other people in terms of whether it's okay or not for us to do our, our job, right? In terms of we kind of seed our responsibility as opposed to, and this is where I think SBAR became really important for me is, oh, I had seen in the chart that this patient is currently receiving a transfusion, but it looks like so far their vitals have been stable. I would like to, you know, mobilize this patient right now. Are there any other issues this patient is having? Okay, my plan is to maybe look at their balance and see how they respond. So you kind of, and again, Kevin kind of alerted me to this. It's like, you try to make a sale, right? right. You were asked like, do you want to buy a car? He's like, oh, no, look at this car right now. It's got these specs. It's going to be awesome. I can see you in this car. Like, you have to be able to make that pitch. Right. And I feel that's, that's huge. So I think, again, just being able to, to have those conversations is, is so important. And for us to be able to, to kind of really show that we own our profession. But, you know, this is another thing I was thinking about, too. So this is me now. Seven, you know, I forget how many years now I've been out since 2008, 15 years working. So I, I know I can have these conversations, but I'm trying to look back when I was a new grad, I was so scared. And, and both of you have seen students that really struggle in acute care. What, what strategies can we give these students that are just so scared about that communication piece or just working on acute care or maybe the ones that are, you know, maybe they're scheduled for an acute care rotation and they're just so scared of the lines and tubes and the, and the really sick patients. Do you have any advice for them that? have low confidence. Well, so like one thing that I, like one of my students are going to go to acute care and they're like, Jen, I'm going to acute care. <laughs> they're kind of like, I know I'm the go-to person. And all right, like, you got this because you're going to go about it wisely and you're going to screen that patient. And, you know, once you start screening that patient, you're going to feel more comfortable because you know how to screen a patient and you're going to look at their vital signs and you're going to start to take that under consideration and you're going to start to build a relationship. Like I said, Ashley, you build that relationship with that patient. And then you're going to get a sense of like, looks so darn ready. 
you look so good. Let's get you sitting up and then give them opportunity to do as much as they can, but help them as much as they need. And like Mm -hmm. always those kind of expectations of yourself. They're like, I can't measure what I don't do. I -hmm. need to do something. And Mm -hmm. so what is it that's going to be the most logical first step? Sometimes the patient will like almost jump out of the bed on you and you're like, I'm out. I'm so not. I never move fast with your therapist is one of my lines. It's like, whoa, never move fast with your therapist. And then, you know, remind them that, you know, you have a plan, you have, you got to organize lines and tubes, you know, communicate with them about what you're doing. Um, Mm. And they start to find their way because they've been through enough lab sessions with us. They've been through enough practical patients. And then to get into the real thing, you're right. There's sounds, there's smells, there's sensory inputs that we can't, even the most highest fidelity lab we do, we can't make it all happen. Mm -hmm. And so trying to give them like, you, you do have a ton of knowledge. I need you to, like Asha said, sometimes in the back, sometimes in the front. I need you to like put it all in the front while you're planning and then walk into that room and feel the layers of the onion just peel off and become that mm-hmm. connection with that patient. Does it mean you're going to walk them the 80 feet that the therapist with nine years experience did yesterday? Maybe not, but they might not have done it today either. Maybe the patient wasn't up for it. So don't assume right. it was you. <laughs> Give yourself a chance to find your abilities as much as help that patient find their abilities. Yeah. A little moving and grooving goes a long way. <laughs> yeah. Believe yeah. me, actually, in terms of with, with your students that or students that you've worked with before, or even new grads that just have low confidence in their skills because of the intimidation factor of being like, I never thought about this. There are some students that have never been in the hospital and they are on an right. care rotation. Right. And it's just, it's, it's normal for us to hear the beeps and the way, like we, we become habituated to us. So I don't know about you, Ashley, what your experience has been with students that are so intimidated by IQ can have low confidence going in. Yeah. And I would say I just stepped out of the role of assistant director of clinical education as well. So I've got it. I've known, I know both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think, I think like if it's your first time stepping foot in acute care, you know what? You, you, you're not expected to know it all at the end of a clinical experience, right? Like, so just get the most of it out, out of it as you can. Ask questions. It's okay to say, I don't know if you don't know. Like, you don't have to be a superstar. If you need help, ask for help. I mean, there's many patients where I need a second or third set of hands. You don't have to do it all. And when it comes to clinical decision-making, I usually just tell them, I think of a scale, right? I tell them the chart review, get get it all in the back of your head. But when something does happen, I put vitals on one side of the scale and I put symptoms on the other side of the scale. And you're always balancing those in the moment. Those are your two big ones, right? So like, like Jen said earlier, that's like great, but what are my symptoms telling me? Mm-hmm. Like patient can't breathe. Let's take a break, right? Or blood pressure is really, really low, like bad low. Patients that says, I feel fine. Nope. I'm going to pay more attention to the vitals in that moment, right? So I always tell them to put on a scale, the vitals and the symptoms, and then just see which way that scale is tipping at any given time. Ideally, it's balanced, but sometimes the symptoms are going to trump and weigh out and sometimes the vitals are going to weigh out, you know, and you just have to remember that in the moment. Mm-hmm. And then the last piece of advice I have for students is you do not need to be a mini version of your clinical instructor. Mm-hmm. Like, right, mm-hmm. you do not have to copy them. You have your own style and your own way of doing things. And it's not going to work if you are not being you mm-hmm. and creating your own plan and doing it how you would do it. And so just sure. I would say be yourself and follow your gut and don't try to 
copy somebody else's style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. That's huge because very often I ask like students that struggle, like, why did you do this? Oh, I saw someone else do this, inpatient or outpatient. Why are you, yeah. why are you doing this? I don't know. That's just what I saw, which maybe initially for like the novice brain being for first clinical rotation, but that's true. It's like, that's give you some opportunity to have some autonomy and to think for yourself. But as a CI, it's like, but why? Why did you choose to do this? And, and I think that's important too, like having that CI that can help or that mentor can kind of tease out, okay, so what was, yeah. what was your thought process? Which is essentially mm-hmm. just facilitating that, that self-assessment, right? That review yep. afterwards, yep. that after action, you know, yep. reflection. Which I think. And for those of you who are clinical instructors in acute care, it's going to take your student twice as long to do everything you do, everything, maybe more, and just be patient. It will all come out in the wash eventually. But well, also really clearly describe how you got to the conclusion you did, why yeah. you took the steps you did. You, 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 know, you so adeptly transitioned from moment to moment, having made 15 decisions per second in right. your head. Mm-hmm. How did it come out your mouth for your right. student? They went from A to Z, but the student needs to know how to go from A to B to C to D. (laughs) I'm going to switch gears before we do our rapid responses, because you also have some fun facts about yourself that I feel like the audience may want to know. Yes, absolutely. So please share sometimes what you do in your off time. Well, what I don't do anymore, but did, well, I do very rarely now, but I was the day of coordinator for our DJ business. So my husband and I had a D- have a DJ business that we did about a couple of hundred weddings between 05 and 09. Oh my God. And so I was at BT Monday through Friday. And then, and he would do all the planning. And then Saturday we'd leave the house at whatever time. He'd hand me the list. We'd get to the venue. I'd set up the light show. He'd set up the audio show. I'd, look at the, I'd go run and put a gown on, put my hair up, put makeup on in the public restroom. And then, like run the party and we're like, all right. So I oh got gosh. the list. I know the wedding party. I know where the parents are. I'm going to go talk to the mother of the bride. Say, don't go to the bathroom. We're about to do first the father's dance, father daughter dance, you know, like boom, 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 make those events run. Learned a ton about sociology, learned a ton about table arrangements, learned a ton about like so many nice people who work in those venues. It just, it was a really, it was darn hard work, but it was really fun. Um, Learned a lot about XLR cables, setting up the light show and carried <laughs> a thousand pounds of gear in and out of that joint every day and got home at like, oh, oh my gosh. gosh. Then the occasional Sunday I had to work. I was like, can I get there at 930, please? I'll stay awake. <laughs> I love it. Day, radio disc jockey, party <laughs> goer, jammer by night. Jen, are you going to be the DJ for, for CSM? Are you going to have a, for our teacher meeting? Oh, no, I know. Like, oh. <laughs> as speaking of CSM, I have to fly home Sunday night because we are DJing at 7 a.m. in oh. the 95 story of Hancock to oh volunteer God. for Respiratory Health Association. We've DJed their event for the past 23 years or something, or 20 years. And it's a day long 95, you know, story stair climb fundraiser. Mm-hmm. And wow. so, yeah, we DJ the after party and I'll be there at 7 a.m. on Sunday, the 26th. <laughs> what an interesting life you lead. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, got to keep it a little variety. Keep it fun. Well, and it's probably a great stress reliever, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's sometimes a different stress, but it is a total <laughs> opportunity. Well, well you know, we, 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 we like 
How many times have we worked with a patient who just got a devastating diagnosis and they still say like, sure, I'll go for a walk with you, you know? So my PT skills, those soft, but really truly hard skills teach you when you go into the bride who's really looking like they're having a great time and then you have to give them bad news. You figure out a way to package that news of what you say, or you say like, I'm not going to say what would you like to do next? You give them two choices and they're going to take one of the two choices. You do not give them a big array. You give two choices. They, they don't have a lot of decisions. I use that strategy with my kids too. Boundaries. <laughs> Boundaries, right. We can, we can try walking to the bathroom or we can walk to the window. Which one would you want to choose? Exactly, right? like, Leo. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. Bad, or we can try doing some exercises lying down to help move your arms. What do you want to do today? They're called behavioral objectives, but we just call them as choices. <laughs> yep. There we go. I love it. It's a skill, mm-hmm. which is why there's going to be a specialty enough. <laughs> exactly. Right. You're right. bringing a full circle. Like a full circle. Full circle. Full circle. All right, Leah, should we explain and move on to our rapid response round? Yes. So let me explain what rapid responses are. So we named this rapid responses, especially because it's, you know, Academy of Acute Care or APT Acute Care. And so essentially what we're going to do is that we'll have about, about a minute and a half. We're just going to, Ashley and I are going to fire out questions for you, random questions. And we just want the first thing that pops into your mind as fast as you can. Ashley, you have your time ready? I got it. I've been, I got it set up. Are we ready? Ready? Jen, are you ready? Okay, I think Andy. Let's do it. Go. Okay, Jen, what is your most favorite way to exercise? Walking. Walking, all right. Rock, paper, or scissors. Ooh, I'm a rock kind of girl. If you were going to have a song, an entrance song, when you walk into the classroom and you teach, what would be your entrance song? I played it yesterday. Lovely day. Bill Withers. Nice. Favorite season? Hmm. <laughs> I, I, that's why I stay in Chicago because we get all four, but I, I'll give myself, I'll give myself summer. Okay. If, if someone was going to play your role in a movie, they were going to play Jen Ryan in this biopic movie. Who would play Jen Ryan? I want Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Name one influential physical therapist in your career. Oh, Rini. My, my past educator, my educator, Dale Schuitz. Did so much for me early on. Poor guy had to put up with my like bachelor's because I'm I'm a bachelor PT, and then my master's and my doctorate. Poor thing, he was on all of them. Here's this is a little bit biased question, but Jen, Chicago deep dish or New York style pizza? Deep dish Chicago. There we go. John <laughs> remembered Ashley. <laughs> you know it's okay. It's okay. I can stick with my New York pizza. All right. Laugh question, because our time's up. You know you work in acute care when, finish the sentence. When most of your transfer training happened in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. But it happened. I was documentable, and they got better at it. And you build for it. Right. You know it. And functional. Hey, can't be. Totally. All God's joking. Well, Jen, tell our audience, where can they find you if they want to reach out after they hear this podcast? I'm available on LinkedIn. And then, Jen, any any final message to our audience, things that you would want them to, to know or to walk away with after listening to this podcast, things that are valuable to you and that you would want them to know? I, I hope they're starting to see that many more opportunity to be a connection for their patient, for their interprofessional colleagues to kind of 
be part of the solution. Our healthcare system always needs more help. And so our movement, you know, when we look at Medicare measures, CAWIs, CLADSIs, FALS, they don't measure function. They tried the G-codes and those didn't happen to be helpful, but people are leaving the hospital more impaired than they showed up. People are not mm -hmm. resuming their functional level of IADL performance, even if they have more therapy. So A, push your patients as hard as their exercise prescription can be tolerated, but B, realize that you're not the only person who's working with that patient and be part of the team that encourages the other professionals to be part of that solution because movement is so underrated in the entities that they, they measure up to. And yet the patient needs movement and that's who they should measure up to. Okay. So that's awesome. Can I, can I just tell you just one really quick story, Jen Ryan's story that I have? I love to share this story. Oh, yeah, please. So when I, was a, when I first started working at UIC 2017, Rich Severin, Dr. Rich Severin, who teaches a cardiopalm class, had asked me to come in and do a guest lecture as to talk about acute care for cardiopalm. What he failed to tell me was that Jen Ryan was also going to be there because they were going to hop out with the simulation lab. So I had to give this lecture talking about acute care and ventilators and mobility in front of Jen Ryan, who I, I think previously I've only, I've only met in terms of reading her in the journal and like there's this big name and she's, she had hosted this, this big meeting over at Timmy Ed course over at University of Chicago. She's buddy buddies with Tracy Norris and, and Jimmy Dyson. And so I'm like, so I have to talk about cardiopalm ventilator physiology in front of Jen Ryan. So I'm like, all right, just like being in the, in the, in the room, you know, with the patient, I'm just going to have to like put on my game face and, and do my best job. And and thankfully, it went well. She didn't. She didn't. She didn't stand up in the in the back of the room and said, "Leo, that's wrong. That's completely wrong." And actually, I think you you did you did say something about uh, you commended me on also screening for neuro, not just cardiopalm. So that was mm -hmm. that was that was a great fun experience. But to have to give a lecture with Jen Ryan in the room was was quite, especially for my first year teaching as uh, as uh, as a professor. But you know what? What a great message to her audience too about getting involved. Sometimes, yeah, the, some of the leaders in our field can be intimidating. But I have never met or spoken or emailed one of them that hasn't been extremely nice and generous and welcoming. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's par for the course for the types of people and personalities that go into physical therapy, right? And so I yeah. think we are we're helpers. Absolutely. Jennifer, thank you so much for being here and being part of this conversation. Really appreciate it. I had a great time. You guys did a wonderful job and it's this service you're doing is really helpful in the profession. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. We would like to thank Jen for joining us today. Acute Conversations is the official podcast of APTA Acute Care. It is hosted by Leo Argulis and Ashley Poole. Executive produced by Katie Brito and Edward Mathis. Music by Alexia Action and sound effects by Cam Hunt from Pixabay. Additional sound effects also from Pixabay. For more information about APTA Acute Care, please go to aptaacutecare.org and be sure to check out our show notes for links and resources from the Academy. If you found value from our podcast, please be sure to like, follow, and subscribe. Join us next time for a special CSM preview episode. Thank you for listening, and may your shoes and scrubs stay clean today.